Hello, and welcome to Rocket's Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. I'm Simone de Rochefort, a video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm here today with Christina Warren, Senior Cloud Advocate at Microsoft, and returning from her two-week vacation, Brianna Wu. That's right. Welcome back, back to the show. She's I back, have a baby. lightsaber. I have I have two lightsabers. I built at Savvy's uh, workshop. I have my very own evil BB-8 unit now, and I've obtained a Sith holocron with the secrets of the Sith Lord. So expect Rocket to take a rather dark turn. <laughs> soon. So nice. What you're saying is your vacation hasn't changed you at all, right? Exactly. I just say, Simone, have you considered the dark side of the Force? Um, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you've got a lot of disinformation out there. It tells <laughs> you that, you know, that Jedis are good. And I'm just saying, if you want to understand something, you need to understand all the points of view. Well, and- you know, what really concerns me is job security. And if the dark side of the force isn't going to ensure <laughs> that for me, I don't know if I can vote for you, Bree. The, the, the dark side of the force has unlimited power. So if you're yeah, boss, they a really good yeah. union. I, yeah. They have a really good union, actually. <laughs> and once you're in, yeah, like you're in for life. Yeah, I mean, totally. Well, that's the thing, right? Talk, talk, talk about job security. I mean, you know, unless you unless you happen to die. But like the thing is, that's that's fairly sure. rare, right? Sure. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's not super common. So <laughs> I mean, unless you're a Jedi, am I right? But on bump. All right. Well, this has just been some. <laughs> Star Wars humor <laughs> for all you nerds out there. Um, boy, do we have a show for you today. It's episode 269 of Rocket, and we are going to be talking briefly about the coronavirus and its impact on the entire world, as well as, sorry, separate sentence, another topic being the MacBook, new MacBook rumors, as well as the Verge's review of the Mac Pro, which has come out finally. And for dessert, we are going to be getting Christina's own perspective on the Amazon Go store in Seattle. So if you <laughs> want to just skip to the spicy part, <laughs> that's going to be the that's going to be it. <laughs> silence, complete silence. I thought I had accidentally muted myself. The spicy part, the spi- well, because because we're just shocked. We're just we don't know where to go with that, Simone. The spicy part, yeah. Go grocery. Uh, skip to the end. There's going to be a fun combo about go grocery. It, it's a very lurid topic, very very sexy topic. Uh, if you have any kids around, you're probably not going to listen to that part of the you show. Disagree, you disagree? Well, we'll get to this. We'll get to this. Um, first, I think we just wanted to touch on like since obviously the coronavirus has been a presence in the world since January, but we are starting to see real industry impacts this month specifically and even over the last this last week it feels like oh yeah this i mean okay i'm kind of turned up to 11 yeah i'm like i'm i'm recording this from my office in redmond rather than from my hotel room in zurich wow directly because of coronavirus so mm-hmm. And this is something that impacts uh, people's lives. It impacts people's jobs. And I think at this point, we can very safely say it impacts the infrastructure of how we live, even outside of the tech industry, and even in areas that have yet to be affected by it. Um, The way that our our modern world has been structured is so reliant on um, travel and trade and being able to, I guess, be in, in... 
in communication and transit with other countries and other states. So it's it's certainly an interesting time to examine the impact of technology and uh, globalization on our lives. Yeah, no, it's interesting because when SARS happened, you know, in like 2002, 2003, that was a big deal, but it was smaller in terms of its total impact, I think for a couple of reasons. One, you know, it wasn't that long after 9-11. So there was still, I guess, a less maybe air travel than there than there had been. You know, it was it was more depressed, I guess, than than maybe it was maybe at its peak before 9-11. Uh, but certainly now air travel is far, far more common than it was, uh, you know, 15, 16 years ago. And I think the number of people who, even though it obviously, you know, with things like, you know, Skype and Zoom and, and Teams and Slack and all kinds of other tools, like it is easier to be, have a more distributed workforce and, and to do things remotely. It's also much less expensive to fly around the world and to be able to communicate with people. And there have been, you know, great uh, strides that have been made, you know, in free trade agreements and in, you know, uh, more more um, open access border policies in, in certain places. And so it's less it's less of a big deal, you know, I think even a decade ago, if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, flying to another country, some people would look at you like, oh, that's exotic. And now it's like it's a fairly common thing, especially for businesses as since, you know, the, the mid 2000s, so much of like manufacturing has moved to China. That becomes like a thing, too, where people are always, you know, regardless of what industry and plenty of people make trips to Asia to, to check on supply chains and to do other stuff. And so it's interesting, I think, to kind of compare and contrast the last time we had something like this and and, and SARS was not as bad as, uh, you know, COVID-19. But it, it's interesting to just kind of look at it doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but the world has changed substantially. Yeah, definitely. There, there's so much to unpack here. And, you know, I think it's it's hard. Like we were talking before we wanted to discuss this today. I mean, obviously the human impact is the most important angle here. Uh, I personally have been very frustrated because you, you see some of the news reports like, oh, don't worry, it's just 2% fatality rate. And it's, Which is it's massive. mostly older people and people with immuno, immuno, who are immune compromised and people, uh, you know, and, and it's it's not that big a deal. Yeah, I think that's really insulting and dehumanizing. Um, so I just want to be clear, everyone on this show puts the people first, but we're, we're also a tech show. So we're going to be talking about that angle, uh, you know, heavily. That's kind of what, why we're here. Um, I thought, uh, Christina, you were showing me a really interesting piece from the Wall Street Journal. And I saw this and I, I loved it. It was talking about Apple's big bet on on China and how the coronavirus and kind of the Trump uh, tariff playbook is is really causing havoc because, uh, you know, Apple now gets one-fifth of their revenue from China. Did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, no, I mean, I thought it was a really interesting article and we'll link to it in um, the, the show notes, but it's interesting because you can directly rise, you know, you can directly map, you know, Apple's kind of uh, massive rise to being the most valuable company in the world to um, moving its supply chain to China and making a big investment there, not just in terms of having direct sales to the consumers there, but, you know, that's where their manufacturing is. And so, um, you know, they, they've started to, with some of the tariff stuff, they were starting to look at some other places to mass produce phones like Vietnam uh, and and um, India, India is less about tariffs per se. That's more that the Indian government, if you want to sell phones there, if you do not manufacture a certain percentage of the phones in India, then they are subject to massive like uh, taxes 
um, in addition to things. So it's more about wanting to mitigate that since that is a very price-sensitive market anyway. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, even though Apple has started to diversify a little bit, China is, you know, where most of their uh, products are made. And and they their supply chain is so famous. You know, Tim Cook is so famous for having such uh, hedging his bets so well on that that it's when you look at, okay, if factories have to be shut down, if uh, travel to and from places is interrupted, if, you know, we can't bring people over there to check things, not not to mention if there are real health concerns, like what impact does this have, not just mm-hmm. on 20% of our revenue coming from people in uh, greater China, but what does this do for us being able to even export our stuff out? And that has, uh, you know, a, a, a trickle-down effect, right? Like, when we talk about, like, one of the big things that's been happening has been that a lot of big tech companies, when, and not it's not just tech companies, it's companies in general, but tech companies have been kind of at the, the forefront of this because we do tend to travel um, internationally so much. A lot of companies have put bans on non-essential travel to areas with active, um, you know, um, cases or in some cases, you know, just period. And it's easy to say, oh, you know, it's it's not a big deal. Just stay home, just work from home or whatever. That can be easier said than done, right? Because there are real business impacts that are happening because of um, this this virus, and that aren't being helped by the kind of scattershot, um, you know, uh, response uh, globally. I think, frankly, that every nation should kind of be ashamed of at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, okay, so if you can't travel, if people lose their jobs, if products don't get sold, like that has a real material impact on, like people's day-to-day livelihood. So it's it's easy to be like, oh, we just, you know, just it's not a big deal. You can't, you know, get on a plane. It's like, right, but the trickle down of that could be that jobs are cut and that yeah. people don't and have like, income. We're in a situation where, for example, if I needed to take off work, I would be fine. But certainly elsewhere in America, even people are not granted those opportunities to take time off work and yeah. get better and or even just stay home and not infect other people. Um, so that's, I think, a huge side effect of, or not a side effect, a huge problem with this. Yeah, no. I mean, I was uh, looking at a study the other day showing how many people that work in a food service, uh, yeah. how often they go to work sick. It's like, uh, what was it? It was some ridiculously high number of it, 40%. Yeah. And then almost none of them get paid leave off. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a very privileged position to pretend like just working from home is, um, something everyone could do. That said, you know, Christina, um, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about you today with those cases that, you know, WAPO is reporting that are in, you know, Seattle right oh, now. Oh, yeah. No, Seattle so, is, unfortunately, King County, uh, which right. uh, encompasses Seattle is, um, I guess there was like a, um, a long-term um, care uh, facility that has kind of become, you know, a, a, a breeding ground for it. Um, there have been, I think, uh, six um, uh, deaths um, it, it, here in, um, in in King County uh, related to coronavirus, and it, it's scary, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the I'm I'm not immunocompromised, and I don't really even if I you know I'm, I'm young enough and I'm healthy enough that even if I were to be exposed to it, you know, I I don't have like fear of like oh I'm going to you know die or whatever. But it it is just when you have because at this point the the WHO I believe reported the World Health Organization that the death rate is actually um, like like three point six percent, which is higher than we thought. And you know, yes, it is true. Way more people die from the flu. That is absolutely true. But that doesn't mean that this isn't still concerning, especially the the amount of information we have. And I think to me, that's kind of 
both the interesting and the frustrating part of the technology play in this just in how we're being alerted with this information. Because on the one hand, you have public health dashboards and you have like like data streams that uh, data scientists and people are putting together where you can, you know, if you go to GitHub, there are lots of projects and people are putting up lots of free things where you can track cases and, and you can see activity and you can kind of see how the virus is moving. And that's really interesting. And I think that can have um, be very helpful in, in some public health situations. On the yeah. other hand, you also have technology where in some ways, you know, do you trust what governments are saying about the situation? Uh, I trust the government of Singapore, for instance, to be pretty transparent. I don't trust the government of China. I'll say that out loud. I, I don't have a lot of faith that China is being as transparent as um, they, they could be because they've never given us any reason to trust them. And uh, I share that opinion just for the record. I yeah. totally agree. <laughs> uh, but, but, but at the same time, you know, we then also have, okay, with social media and with, uh, you know, even mainstream news, the way that people are spreading information, on the one hand, it's great that you can have these dashboards and you can get this information out there. On the other hand, it can be, you know, weaponized and used to spread false things and to, you know, rile people up and get people upset or, or to um, allow people to be profiled um, in, in really unfair ways. So it's, uh, I don't know, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't got to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has it covered. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help, and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Personally, I find Squarespace websites very fun to make, and I've never managed to make something ugly on Squarespace, which is a testament, frankly, to the ease of use of their tools and the uh, the things that they are offering to me to play with. Um, so why don't you take up that challenge? Go out there and try to make an ugly website on Squarespace. I dare ya. <laughs> Listen, folks. It's great to have a Squarespace website. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash rocket. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain and to show your support for rocket. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash rocket and the code rocket to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you so much, Squarespace, for your support of this show and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Our next topic is about a new MacBook. So Apple Ooh. analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, our best friend, says we can expect not one, but six new Apple products with mini LED displays, one of which being a 14.1-inch MacBook Pro. Now, Mini LED is, of course, a new display technology that will feature that features better contrast and deeper blacks compared to regular LED lit LCD displays. This 14.1 inch MacBook would reportedly replace the 13 inch model, maybe next in line, maybe after another um, version of the 13 inch model. Cut to me screaming in pain because <laughs> we already have the 16 inch 
MacBook Pro that's replaced the 15. And now they're saying there's going to be a 14-inch one replaced in the 13. What are you doing? Uh, This (laughs) 14-inch MacBook will reportedly feature the Scissor Switch Magic Keyboard, which is, of course, the new, new version of Apple's Scissor Keys. Um, The other products mentioned in this, the other rumored products, are a 12.9-inch iPad Pro, a 27-inch iMac Pro, a 16-inch MacBook Pro, and a 10.2-inch iPad, and a 7.9-inch iPad Mini. So many things. So many things. Goldie Bear. He also mentions that the mini LED release plans are reportedly not affected by the coronavirus outbreak. Yeah, I don't... There's a whole story that I haven't seen substantiated, but about China relocating some labor that has some ethical considerations. It but is we'll a get concern. Into that for another show. Um, yeah. Um, so, has have either of you seen the 16 inch uh, MacBook in person yes. yet? I yes, won't make so eye contact with admit, it. I refuse. I, I, I was really hoping for. Do you know what I mean when Apple announces a product and you're like, I really hope it it feels different or the screen feels bigger or do you know what I mean? You want that, that, that sexy hit from a new Apple product. And I looked at it. It looks the same. It looks exactly the same. A little bit less bezel, but, but yeah. Yeah. um, Okay. I'm looking at it now. I'm going to look at it just for you, just for the show. Thank you. Thank you, Simone. I didn't, I didn't have my, my laptop to like measure against it so i couldn't compare it to how big the old one was with the footprint but it just didn't seem like that big a deal um so Mm. with this and the 13 inch i mean i gotta be honest i care so much more about the 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 internals and just making the macbook pro bigger it's it's that 13 inch it just seems like a bad call because so many people are like okay i could get the you know the macbook air or I could get the Pro and just have it be a little bit bigger and deal with it. This just feels weird. I, uh, are they trying to differentiate it from the Air? What uh, do you think? Yeah, I have. I've okay. My main thought is that <laughs> I feel like they didn't want to have to do a entirely new, new chassis design um, because they didn't want to have to, you know, redesign everything from the ground. Even though they were giving it a new keyboard. But if they kept the same screen size and just updated the keyboard, that would be a weird way. How do you differentiate between the one with the terrible keyboard and the one with the keyboard that works? <laughs> oh, fair, no. Fair. No, I, I'm, like, dead serious. Like, this, this I, I thought about this. Like, this is actually my thought. Like, I think that um, in addition to maybe being able to get the panels for whatever purposes and this and that, like, I really feel like this was a matter of, hey, this is how we can make an excuse. And and I realize that technically they wouldn't be able to maybe update, you know, the parts to work in the old models to be repaired. I get that. But this is how they could kind of, you know, sell it as this is a distinctly different product. This isn't going to be, you know, the 13-inch MacBook Pro with touch bar that you know of because it has a terrible keyboard. This is a new you know, 14.1-inch MacBook Pro with a brand new, you know, keyboard that doesn't suck and and a touch bar and whatever, even if the overall footprint is similar. Is that really, like, if you just look at it, though, I mean, to Bree's point, they don't look that different. The average no. person just looking at it head on and wouldn't be able to distinguish, like, ah, it is one inch wider. Right, but, but think about it. Like, if you're still selling some of those other ones like in your channels like you know what i mean like it might be a weird thing like how do you differentiate between what you know model macbook pro has the good keyboard or the bad one Hmm. like if they're both 13 inches i don't know um 
I, I feel like part of it was, you know, they just took the, the chance to do kind of the redesign. What would be more interesting to me, and unfortunately they didn't do this with a 16-inch, which I think is beautiful, um, and it, I would really love to see it if they did the same thing with like the, um, whatchamacallit, the 14.1-inch, um, uh, if that's a real thing, would be rather than having the 16 by 9 um, or 16 by 10 um, uh, uh, display ratio, I would love it if it were um, 3 by 2, which is oh. what the Surface Books used and also what my 13.9-inch um, uh, Huawei MateBook um, X Pro, uh, the blatant, you know, knockoff um, uh, MacBook Pro design that it is, uh, uses. I really love the the 3 um, by 2 um, uh, aspect ratio. I think that's really, really good for a laptop on a lot of levels. I wish that that would be the case. What do you think about the the new display I don't know enough about micro LED to actually know what impact that'll have one way or another. I mean, I, I Apple makes great displays, so I don't have any qualms about that being, you know, awesome. I, I think it would be interesting to see if they did maybe change the chassis design more than what they did with the 16-inch, you know, to maybe really make the bezels less and really maybe refine mm-hmm. um, some of the spacing I have opinions about micro LED, actually. <laughs> like, like this is a really cool technology. Like, if you remember way back when we were first figuring out uh, OLED, you know, uh, like the organic is my organic. former like, favorite display, right? But it was, it was, it, it took us a while to figure out to the point where these displays wouldn't die. Uh, with micro LED, like this is a, a a real miracle of miniaturization of all that uh, behind it, trying to get it small enough. So it's clearly it's it's not going to be a revolution, uh, but it's clearly going to be brighter and sharper and uh, most promising. I think it has the capacity to draw less power. So. Oh. I think this is really exciting. How do you think it's going to affect the cost of the machine? Uh, it's going to go up. Some yeah, whoa, for, for Apple. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, it's really exciting stuff, uh, definitely. Yeah, I'm always excited to see uh, laptops with, with more effective displays because that's the machine that I use probably most often in my life. Even in my office, sometimes I'll find myself yeah. like whipping open my MacBook while I'm sitting in front of my iMac. Just because I I don't know honestly I don't know so yeah I'm the same way honestly I do the, I do something similar I think we just become used to it and and certainly having a, a better display that is how most people interact with their computer period is mm-hmm. going to be you know with the laptop screen so I'm a fan of that I'd be interested to see if they improve the thermals at all because they did improve the thermals significantly with the 16 inch even beyond what they did when they kind of fixed the 15 inch. And um, I, I would like to see that, too, because if they were able to improve the thermal situation, then you could conceivably with the newest Intel chips have, um, you know, in that smaller size, you know, six core, maybe even eight core processors, which would be really great. Do you think that's a factor of the size increase? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, I just I, I want them to have a good reason for it. I know it's only 1.1 inch or give or take a point, whatever, but... I, as you all know, would die for my 12-inch MacBook Pro. I will die with it because it's going to catch fire on my lap because I won't replace the battery. Oh, well. Um, so when I when I see the size going up, I'm like, I'm watching you, Apple. <laughs> I love my small laptop. I love my laptop that will fit in an absurdly large woman's purse. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I want to talk about something like what I felt was the really surprising uh, news from this story, which was the uh, 
the iMac Pro is staying around. And of course, oh, yeah, it hasn't been thing. confirmed yet. Yeah. I, I'm really, I'm, I'm surprised by this. Uh, you know, when uh, I just, uh, my husband bought his very own iMac. Uh, he had not bought a new Mac in a decade. I was like, baby, it's time. Let's go do it. And when we did it, uh, the person commented at the store because we wanted like a, an upgraded version of it. And he's like, yeah, we just don't sell enough of these things to really keep that many oh my in stock. God. So sorry, you're going to have to get by with, you know, this and that configuration, which was very basic. Well, yeah, because we thought for we thought briefly that that might be before they said that they were updating the Mac Pro and put that out, um, that that might be their sort of concession to pro users for a bit. Right. Yeah. And it has been, except, 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 except it's been two years since they updated it. Right. So yeah. <laughs> uh, here we they, go again. <laughs> well, exactly. This is a problem. So they have the Xeon processors and I get it. I get it. They have to follow Intel's roadmap, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but At this point, because the way the processor cycles work, you know, the 2019 iMac, if you got that tricked out, the performance on that in most cases is better than that of the iMac Pro, which is ridiculous, right? So it was like, unless you need the extra Thunderbolt 3 ports, there's not a reason to, you know, get an iMac Pro. You should just, you know, completely max out uh, a regular 2019 iMac. Like, that's what you should do. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I I'm glad they're doing that because as we're about to talk about, you know, if they are going to update the iMac Pro, um, I hope that they can maybe make it more consistent because I do feel like whether it's goes by the Pro moniker or not, that is the machine that it's not going to be expandable in the way that some professionals might want. But if you're doing a lot of if you're doing things that don't require, you know, a very specific type of workload and if you don't have a budget of, you know, fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars, that's gonna be your your best bet in terms of uh, you know, a desktop Mac product. Yeah. I guess I mean, I would be so interested to know how much it costs Apple to kind of retool these things as, you know, Intel puts out, you know, their next chip or whatever. I mean, is it really can it really be that expensive to kind of update the something like the iMac Pro? I mean, it's kind well, of like just a a fancy iMac, you know? Yeah, it is. The issue is is that they're using um, Intel's uh, Xeon chips, and so they right. need to be based on, I guess, um, whatever the you know Intel's um, cycle is for releasing those, and maybe they have yep. you know certain form factor and, and and certain nanometers that they can fit into their tooling. So they're beholden to that. Once again, their entire release cycle is dominated by Intel. Yeah, that's always been the case, and 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 that is a problem because if Intel's behind, then then Apple is, and they're not the same way. You know, Dell makes a jillion laptops and releases a new XPS thirteen every single year, twice a year sometimes, right? And so they can do the TikTok thing to do, you know, uh, the various, you know, um, uh, you know, the the tick cycle and the talk cycle. But Apple doesn't. They wait for the, the major revisions and they need to see, you know, uh, they use Intel motherboards. They don't use anybody else's. And so they have to kind of wait for whatever Intel's tooling is that's going to come out. So it's uh, the Xeon stuff, the server stuff, that's always slower my argument would just be for a lot of people, you need to look, especially in something like, in my opinion, like an iMac form factor, you need to take a serious look and say, do I want to buy this thing that is going to be kind of stuck in stasis or that's going to be two years old? Or should I get the consumer chip, which at this point is faster, and buy that mm-hmm. instead, which is if, if I were buying an iMac today, that's what I would suggest anyone do. 
I think that is a great segue into our next topic, which is, of course, uh, the Mac Pro, which we've already covered on this show. But The Verge just released their review of it, asking six uh, professionals who work at Vox Media and New York Media. Not me. Not me. Yeah, I was um, going to say, what was up with that? <laughs> I don't do enough hardcore stuff on it. Um, they So they had six people, um, like a photo editor, motion graphics professional, um, our head of um, post uh, um, design, who Marilla Silva, who is great, um, to basically use this machine for what they would do in their daily jobs and talk about whether it was a step up for them. And surprisingly for me, the big takeaway was that for most of them, it did not necessarily constitute, um, it, it was not better performing. And we'll get yeah. into a bit of why. The other big takeaway for me was that there are people in my building with my same job title who are working off of 2019 IMAX while I am on a 2015. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you need to take that to the union. Get their machine, Simone. No one will stop you. You're a Sith Lord now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I really I, like. Oh, the- yeah, for real. Take do, it, the for, you know use the force. Yeah. I did appreciate a part of the video where another guy who is working on a 2015 iMac said that the performance was better. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I know I've said this on the show before, but I get so frustrated when journalists review uh, the, 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 the Mac Pro because it's just frankly not a, a machine for what you do. The, uh, the Mac Pro has always been a machine for really high-end computational stuff, which means uh, well, light baking. Well, go, well, let me finish what I'm saying. Sure. Like, light baking levels in Unreal, that's very, very highly computationally intensive. That takes a ton of uh, different cores to use. If you're doing ZBrush stuff, that's highly, highly graphically uh, constrained to your CPU, GPU, rather. That is what it's designed for. Uh, using Nuke, rendering out scenes. Uh, I did like Marky Brown's review on YouTube because he was, you know, he has a really advanced uh, 4K process that uh, uses one of the codecs that the Afterburner card can use in this. So he is one of the rare cases in video that's ab- that's going to really need something like this. But generally speaking, for for most things, I just I feel like if you're not going to 3D professionals. I just, I kind of think you're missing the point, if that makes sense. And that was the surprising part of this was that even in, I mean, they bought a even PC in those cases, and in a life comparison, yeah. the Mac Pro performed much worse than the PC that they bought. Right. right. And and that that's an Adobe thing. The only thing I would push back on, Brie, is I would say that now what a Mac Pro is and what it has been since, say, you know, 2013, I would agree with you. But for many years, what we know is the Mac Pro and before that, you know, it was the, you know, the Power Mac was a very high-end desktop, make no mistake, but oh, yeah. it was affordable. It wasn't one of those things where you need to spend a minimum of, you know, 10 grand to kind of get in the door and make it worth it. So there were yeah. plenty of people who might not have been doing taking, you know, full advantage but could still say, "Hey, if I want to have a machine that's going to last me a really long time, this is going to make sense." Whereas at this point, like with the price and and with the, you know, sort of capabilities, like it's it's designed for a very specific type of person. But what was interesting to me, and, and Simone, I would love your take since you work at, you work at Vox Media and you know this um, you know workflow that a lot of people are, are working on. Ha, 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 ha. What a bold statement. Well, what I was going to say, though, <laughs> the interesting thing about the performance thing here is 
yeah, the PC smoked it, the Threadripper smoked it, fine. Um, but the Adobe apps, the big, the big thing is that Adobe has not optimized their software for, um, you know, uh, to, to use the GPU on Mac OS. And that is the big, my, that was my biggest takeaway. And I think Neelai's biggest takeaway from this as well was, yes, the you can stuff the best technology into this Mac Pro, but Adobe is not yet optimized for this. And that's kind of part and parcel with Apple is playing catch up and that now trying to push the bar of what technology they're offering and like Final Cut's working great on this thing, apparently. But yeah. Adobe is not quite there yet. And for I think a lot of us are on Adobe as far as I know, the creative cloud at yes. Vox Media. Um, we all have <laughs> incredibly different workflows, <laughs> even within <laughs> my team. I don't know anything about that. But um, it's less. I just meant in terms of the software you use, not the, not the workflows per se, yes. just meaning the software. Um, so, so it's kind of impossible to, you know, I mean, the people in this video weren't journalists. They were professionals doing complex motion graphics work and video editing. Um, and in the case of Marillo, I don't know what he does, but it's absolutely nuts. He was a former, like, he worked on color correction on Game of Thrones. So he was looking at it from a color correcting standpoint. And uh, the people who were using Adobe products were just not able to see improvements in the the responsiveness of the machine compared to the 2015 to 2019 iMacs that they are accustomed to working on. So I just wanted to leap back to the light bake situation because both of you are dead on right that uh, when you said the Verge review kind of uh, indicated the PC did light baking faster than the Mac Pro, that is because these processes have to be um, it, it really is hyper, hyper, hyper dependent on processor support and GPU support. These settings are so unbelievably fiddly. You have no idea. So it's not surprising to me that they tried to do a light bake on this and the, uh, you know, basically this processor in OS, um, you know, in Mac OS had not been uh, optimized for it yet. Um, this is one of the really big problems if you're using anything Mac related for 3D because the, 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 the ecosystem for 3D software is just not there. Updating ZBrush, dead last priority. 3D Max does not exist. Maya sort of exists. I downloaded it the other day. It's it's still bad. <laughs> I would not <laughs> recommend it. Like, it's just uh, when it comes to serious 3D stuff. Oh, how about uh, Unreal? Like, Unreal Engine 4 is amazing. It runs like ass on a Mac. Oh. So, you know, um, it's just, it's it's never going to be a serious platform for that. So Yeah, and it's, and it's a shame because for a long time, um, at least video and, and with motion graphics, it absolutely was where everybody was. Right. And at this point, I think it's both Adobe being lazy, but it's also Apple having kind of abandoned the high end of the market for a while and allowing Adobe to be lazy, right? Like at this point, um, you know, Apple can realistically say, okay, if you use our stuff, we can get you better performance. And, and DaVinci Resolve is now starting to, you know, to get into that um, place uh, too, where they're starting to, I think, maybe put the pressure on Adobe a little bit to to optimize for, for Mac OS. But yeah, I mean, you're right, Bree. A lot of these these programs, these tools are are not developed for that platform, and so no matter how powerful you have it, it doesn't work. What was interesting, I'm going to put this in, in our links, and we'll put it in our show notes. There's a website called Barefeets that has been doing various like Mac uh, high intensive like Mac um, uh, comparisons between different high end Macs, and actually they 
done things where they've taken like the the 2012 uh, or, or 2010 Mac Pros, whatever the, uh, the the last one was that was you know the, the cheese grater uh, before the the new model um, and upgrading it aftermarket well past the point of what you're supposed to be doing. And they do a lot of really impressive uh, benchmarks and they compared the um, the uh, iMac Pro versus um, a couple of different variants of the the 2019 Mac Pro in, in Cinebench and Blender and compressor and handbrake and After Effects. And in a lot of these categories, uh, the the Mac Pro is the same as what the Verge's uh, hands-on um, review was saying. The the performance just isn't any better, and it's it's looks like it's seriously just a software is what's what's holding so this up. It's a software limitation. Yeah, I mean, on the other hand, like even I, who will never edit anything on a PC, have to admit the PC that they tested cheaper and more efficient. So. The price for me is always going to be an aspect of this, that the Mac Pro is just always going to be a little bit more expensive than the competition. Um, so and obviously you get you get what you pay for, but not apparently when the apps won't update when the apps aren't updated <laughs> to take advantage of the tech. What what did you two think about the kind of the response to the uh, to the display? Because that was I would agree with Neela there. I was surprised that a lot of the professionals weren't in love with the display because that's what I thought was going to be like the the hands down winner because I've just seen it in an Apple store. I haven't obviously spent any time with it, but I would love to just stare into that 6K display for the rest of my life. I would like to crawl inside and live in it. Yeah. So the issue with the display was that for a lot of the people they talked to, the offset, like how the display changes based on the angle you're looking at it was just it was not supportable and also that it had a a sort of vignette around the edges even looking at it straight on i don't think that would be an issue for me but certainly like if i'm paying for a 6k display i would rather not deal with that especially if i'm doing as the people in these video were doing um photo photo and motion graphics work that might be very color sensitive yeah, um, I guess I'll be honest, it's not an area of tech I'm super familiar with personally, like I've color calibrated yeah. display, but if they're saying it's not that great, I'm with you, Christina, I was rather surprised by that. That was what most people were most excited about coming into this. I'd like to get some uh, more opinions. Uh, Marky Brown, he yeah. said Marquez he was going to put it. I'm sorry, Marquez Brownlee, uh, he is going to put out another video on this soon, so I can't wait to see what he has to say about yeah. that. yeah. I will say my my last statement on this is that I was present when Neelai peeled the um the protective plastic off <gasps> of the display. Nice. It was beautiful. I loved to be present for that. Highlight That's of so my great. career. That's so great. Also, so also, also there was a video that you shared of, of one of your colleagues. Uh the fact there are the, the four hundred dollar wheels where there's no brake. That is not my colleague. That is a stranger on Twitter. But yeah, I actually did want to talk about that. Thank you for reminding me. Um, unless that is my colleague and I just embarrassed myself. No, I don't think it. I, I mis I misunderstood because uh, I said you, uh, I, I think I read the the um, comment wrong. But um, I thought you said you know my colleagues. Some of some of my colleagues. Oh have yeah, I was talking about how my coworkers have 2019 IMAX and I'm furious about it. Oh, that's um, what it was. I I, I so I here's a tweet of a guy who got the $400 wheels for his IMAX. Or his Apple <laughs> Mac Pro, and he gently rolls the Mac Pro across the room because the wheels, the four hundred dollar wheels, don't have brakes on them. 
Why? <sighs> That's so silly. What's the point of having wheels? If they're not going to stop. Yeah, like if I if I'm spending fifty thousand dollars on a damn iMac iMac Pro, no one is uh-huh. ever getting that ever. It's not wheeling anywhere except into my office where I guard it with a shotgun. Exactly, I mean. exactly. <laughs> well, but it's also like the the um the monitor stand like had like jiggle. Like I'm oh, like, no. come on, guys. Like, come on, it's a thousand dollars. Like, let's not, let's not. Four hundred dollar wheels and no like stopper. Like that's just. Yeah, like, this is the same thing. It's okay. It's not the same as the keyboard because the keyboard is exorbitantly expensive and time consuming to fix. However, when I pay the price that I pay for Apple products, like I expect them to be a beautiful fused piece of like physically functional hardware, much like my 2015 MacBook Pro <laughs> that I will never <laughs> shut up about. I don't expect it to roll. I don't expect like I'm shaking this laptop. It's not jiggling at all. I don't expect it to roll or jiggle. Um, and yep, that's my story for you. You don't expect it to roll or jiggle. Okay. Neither that's do I, for that matter. Okay. I don't roll or jiggle okay. ever. Um, Christina. <laughs> all right, it's time it's time for spicy stuff. You an Amazon Go grocery opened near you and you have personally experienced it and we now finally get to hear about your experience yeah so uh amazon go is like their store like their kind of like convenience store concept where you just walk in and you grab stuff off the shelves then you walk out and you don't have to pay because you scan a qr code when you enter and then there are a million cameras that uh you know uh can keep track of your positioning and location and like can see when you pick something up or down and then they have like weights and all kinds of other things and figure out like what you have on your, you know, in a bag or whatever, and and then charge you for it when you leave. So you don't have to deal with, um, you know, waiting in line to check out. And the go grocery concept is taking that one step further. So it is, um, you know, it's, it's a full size grocery store. So there's, you know, produce, meaning you could get individual, you know, pieces of fruit or vegetables. And there's, you know, big uh, dairy containers. There's pre-made food. There, um, there's a bakery. There is um, a deli. They they do set, have meats. Those are packaged. They don't have like a a butcher, you know, on site or anything. Um, and the the first one of these that is opened happens to be like across the street from my apartment. So it's like 182 feet away or something, or 282 feet away. It's really close. So I went obviously. And I, I regret to inform you all that I love it. I, 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 Simone, I can't wait for us to have this conversation kind of debate because I freaking love it. And I'm so glad it is in my neighborhood. It's a really good grocery store. First of all, uh, that's the most important thing. It's way, um, more convenient to me for me than the QFC up the street. And, uh, it's laid out really well. The prices are really good. And it's basically like a Trader Joe's, but with brand name food. So I can good get because it's not employing people to check you out. I mean, I don't really and care because if Amazon I'm has a history of price gouging in industries that it wants to get into, so that it can put existing businesses out of business. I'm not crying Bernie for Kroger, Sanders Simone. has entered the chat. Yeah, <laughs> Bernie Sanders has entered. In in fairness, Simone. I'm not crying for QFC. Kroger owns them. I'm not crying for Whole Foods. Amazon owns them. I'm not crying for Trader Joe's. And also, to be totally frank, most local grocery stores I've been to in New York City were terrible. So don't really care if I can get the places that I'm, I'm going to be totally selfish and like a terrible person and just be like, if I can get the stuff that I like that's good quality near me at a good price, I'm I'm a fan. Hmm. 
I do not share your experience with New York grocery stores. I like my <laughs> local grocery stores. I am friends with the people who run them. Um, not like hang out friends, but I've traded numbers with checkout clerks at my Christini's before. <laughs> um, and I say hi to the guy who owns the Garden of Eden every time I go in. And it rules. And uh, I don't know. For me, this is one of those things where the convenience of it does not matter enough to me to uh, sacrifice the exit the the way that that interaction and that business has run like on a personal level for me throughout my life um on i can't i won't speak to like the larger overall business of kroger uh certainly not of whole foods because again they're owned by amazon so i don't shop there um (laughs) but for me this is one of those industries that does not need to be disrupted in this way. It doesn't make sense to me, and I don't care for it. What's when, what was interesting? I've been I've been in a couple of times now, and there are a lot of employees. Obviously, you don't have people at checkout counters, but and I don't know if it's just because it's only been open, you know, I think a week at this point or what. But there are people, you know, there to kind of make sure people can walk in correctly, and um, they sell alcohol. And so you have to, uh, you know, go behind. They have like a, a, a clo- you know, a, a closed off area where you have to go to show your ID to be able to get wine or, or whatever. Same thing if you want to buy NyQuil or whatever. That's my only complaint about New York grocery stores. <laughs> that was actually what was what was interesting to me is at least so far they're like the it's not like there are no employees. There's just no checkout counters. So mm-hmm. there are a number. There are a lot of employees there. There are just no checkout counters. Now uh, are there less than there might be otherwise? Probably, but again, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to look at like the the traffic patterns at some of those other places because I'm sure some of those shops have people who you know they, they are, are manning counters at certain times and, and not at others depending on foot traffic. So you know that I, I I'm not sure about. And obviously, people have to come in and stock the shelves and 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 do the upkeep and that sort of thing. So it's not as if there are no employees. There are employees. There just aren't checkout counters, mm-hmm. which uh, which I to me that's. That's not even, like, the biggest advantage for me of this whole process. I mean, obviously, it's been really nice when it's been busy, like, peak time, like, 7 o'clock, to just be able to go in and grab a bag and, and you know, grab a couple of things and walk out without having to, you know, wait in line. But the bigger thing for me, frankly, is just this happens to be a really good grocery store with a lot of products that I like, for now anyway, very good prices. Um, and it's very convenient. Like, to me, that was the, the biggest thing. I'm just like, oh, this is actually a quality grocery store. Yeah. So I wa- this is what I want to know. I'm, I'm curious about the technology of it. So yeah. at, the, at the one in Seattle I went to, I mean, I don't – it's not RFID, uh, like, tags on the, the groceries themselves, right. is it? No, so, it's not. So I – but even still, I could see how it was, it was all neatly put on a shelf. Um, you know, I could see it like more carefully tracking everything. Yeah. When you have stuff like like apples, how on earth can they track how many exactly. apples you get? What's the technology behind this? Cameras. It's in, in AI stuff. It's a really tricky and very interesting, even if like you are like Simone and totally opposed to the whole idea. It's actually a very interesting technical problem because they are having to capture the cameras and I think do facial recognition, um, not, you know, to tie to people, but to be able to recognize certain objects. My and they're able to they're able to kind of focus in on, you know, using AI to basically say, these are what these things are, this is where it is, be able to track has this, is this on a person's, you know, uh body or not? Has this gone in a bag? You know, what's what's the process there? Um at Ars Technica, uh, one of their reporters actually 
um, he did this, I think, with the uh, the the kind of convenience store thing too. He kind of tried to to break and and trick the system, and he was able to figure out like when he went into the bathroom, um, he uh, had like you know a piece of fruit and something else, and he was charged correctly for that. But when he l- left the bathroom, he taken like his hoodie off or put a hoodie on something like that he changed his appearance and when that happened that then uh you know changed i guess what what kind of the 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 computer vision saw and how it was able to track things so it is tracking people oh yeah absolutely but that's never been like that that's not hidden i just mean facial recognition in the sense that it's not like it's going through a database where it's saying this is what christina warren looks like it's saying this is an object this is object detection and object recognition computer vision but if saying it is this is an tracking object. you a person picking up objects in the store and then charging you for them on your christina warren account how is it not tracking christina warren i mean I guess conceivably it could be, but that's not how the one-to-one thing is working. It's not as if it's saying, oh, Christina Warren is walking in and it's making a one-to-one map. It's saying user ID, whatever, you know, account is this and this figure is here and we're just mapping, you know, the 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 computer vision things to that user ID. It's not as if it's, you know, I, you know um, the computer, like you walk in and immediately says, oh, this is Simone. It's like, it, it's just making a connection between the QR code um, that you scanned. Like, for instance, if I had your phone and I scanned your QR code, it would think that I was, you know, you. It wouldn't be able to tell any difference between our physical appearances. Like, that wouldn't make any difference. At the same time, that I mean, that's still data that is tied to your identity. Yeah, no, of course it is. But but to, to be very clear, um, any grocery store you go to, any chain grocery store that you go to, especially if you use a loyalty card, which has been around for more than 20 years— they have records of everything that you buy. Um, they sell that information very actively, which is mm-hmm. why you will get junk mail and why you get, you know, things from Gillette and other people in the mail. And they have cameras and other things that look at patterns of people walking up and down and, and how they shop and what they do. So it it's definitely more invasive. I'm not arguing that it isn't. Only thing I want to point out is that uh, the regular grocery shopping that you do, unless you happen to be lucky enough, which a lot of people aren't, to be in an area where you have a co-op and, and you like it. Like my Brooklyn grocery store was a pretty crappy gro- grocery store. Like it was, you know, kind of a, a, a no-name kind of like, you know, big grocery store. It was not a good place. They didn't have fresh produce. I ordered from Fresh Direct. If you're ordering online, if you're, you know, doing um, – if you get, uh, you know, online delivery for your groceries, which is very common, like all that information is still going to be tied to you. So – most people, whether we like it or not, if you're, you know, you're using a credit card, whatever, like this is being tied to you anyway. Like this is obviously going to be a level beyond that. I'm not arguing against that. But let's not pretend as if grocery shopping has been a private activity for a really long time because it hasn't been. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. Yep. I will not and cannot support the further intrusion of Amazon. Fair enough. Into our lives. That being said, I'm sorry you don't have a better grocery store near you. I am absolutely part of the problem. I I don't go into a grocery store. I order it through the Whole Foods uh, app on the Amazon Prime store and just have it shipped to my house, which is, frankly, barely any ethically more responsible than what Christina is doing. So I just don't understand. I have such – I take such pleasure in – shopping for groceries and making food out of them and i don't understand i guess because you have a good because you have a good grocery store there are plenty of people who don't like yeah you know 
And and I mean, it, it depends on where you live. Not everybody has those options. A lot of people go to like Target. Like Walmart is the biggest grocery store chain, right? Like Ugh. that's where most people get their groceries. I mean, you can say that, but like if you live someplace and that's the only option you have, I'm not going to shame somebody for going to Walmart to get groceries. I'm just not. Yeah, like, I'm not doing you that. Have, well, I know. I'm just saying that like, it's real easy when you have options that are are vast and when you have other places you can go, but not everyone has that. I order from from Prime Now all the time, and I order from from Amazon Fresh all the time. So at this point, honestly, I'm like saving money and frankly, like not forcing the underpaid delivery people to schlep up the elevator, you know, with my groceries by just going across the street now. So yeah, I feel slightly better that way. I just think there are some things that don't need to be made more convenient. You're you're right, Simone. I, you're not I, wrong. I, I'm just a bad I'm, person. <laughs> I, I'm also a bad person. I I do like when I cook meals. I do it through Blue Apron, which I still subscribe to. I absolutely love, and most of the stuff I get from Amazon, it's like you know, it's staples. It's it's hot dogs for Frank. It's toilet paper. It's you know, it's ketchup. It's stu- it's Coke. It's coffee, and that's not really a, a sexy trip to the store, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no, totally. I agree with you. I mean, that's the thing. I, I We get, like, a lot of, like, cases of Diet Coke delivered every week in LaCroix and things like that, you know. And, and I'll probably still have that done because, frankly, it's easier to have them delivered when they can bring up pallets of them than it would be for me to walk and, and try to, you know, carry them myself. But, yep. yeah, I mean, look – more power to you. If you have a really good grocery store in your neighborhood and you want to, um, you know, patron that, like, I I love that. And I, 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 you know, tip my hat to you. For me, this is really convenient. And that's not how I shop. So. Simone, I'm going to send you my uh, Sith holocron and these feelings <laughs> will just be gone in a week. And you'll be over here with Christina and I. I can't and wait. Be great. I can't wait to be happy. <laughs> Join our dark side. Uh, what are we up to this week? Christina, what are you doing? Well, I'm not in Zurich. Mm. Um so and I so because of that I didn't get to go to see um, uh, waitress in London so that sucked. But that's I'm okay. so sad about that for you. Yeah, how was cats? It was delightful. I oh. legitimately like my throat felt sore the next day from screaming. That should have been dessert this week. We have to do that next week. Okay, yeah. I gotta hear all about it. <laughs> what about uh, you, so- Brie? What'd you do this week? Oh God, what am I doing? So it was Super Tuesday. I went to. Uh, more polling places today than oh, I can count. Um, we've got a bunch of events, uh, like supporters in district are throwing a ton of events for me this week. Uh, I'm doing this week in tech this weekend. Um, we've got a bunch of ads, uh, they're coming out soon. Like my campaign is just like a, it's, it's, it's just exploding in a great way. So, I'm so um, glad to hear yeah, that. I'm feeling good. I'm back from vacation. I'm ready to get out and win this damn thing and become your congresswoman. Do you feel that you will be able to work across the aisle with the Jedi? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you can trust me. I'll hold you too. I that. believe you. <laughs> I'll do that. No, seriously. I mean, a lot of the stuff I'm, uh, in all seriousness, the stuff I'm good at, like tech policy is now a right versus left issue, I feel. Yeah. So I, I do feel I'll get a lot done bipartisan. Definitely. Uh, women's rights, maybe not compromise so much, but we'll take it from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, I This week, I'm I if you listened to the show last week, I did say I was going to go skiing last weekend. I was convinced that it would be dangerous. For my body, 
if I slept after staying up till two in the morning, or sorry, if I skied after staying up till two in the morning, leaving on the bus at six in the morning. So I decided to not do that, but I am going to go skiing this weekend. So got to get out good. there before, you know, the earth melts. Um, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm disappointed that you didn't just stay awake. You didn't just follow my advice and just stay awake. Uh. Yeah, I thought about it. I just, I needed to sleep so badly. I tried, I slept in, I legitimately slept in on um, Saturday, but it wasn't enough to, to make it, um, to ruin my sleep schedule, to make it okay, to make it mid-afternoon for me at six in the morning on Sunday. Gotcha. Gotcha. I but but, I but this weekend, this weekend, you're going to return to the slopes. This weekend? Hitting the slopes. And shooting a new video, and we'll have cool Quibi news to share next week, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yay. Christina, where can we find you online? You can find me at film underscore girl on the Twitters and the Instagrams, and you can find my work uh, videos at youtube.com slash Microsoft Developer. Uh, Brianna, what about you? All right, so you can see me on uh, Twitter, uh, the Twitter machine at Brianna Wu. If you look at my my Twitter uh, my Twitter things today, you're going to look through and you're going to see a a bright eyed, fresh, <laughs> eager, young twenty something guy that just wants to get out there and work his heart out for Brianna Wu. And I want to bring that guy onto my staff. And to do that, I need to raise enough money to pay him. So I hope you will go to uh, supportbrianna.com uh, and help me do that. Christy, I have a very quick story to tell you. <laughs> I was writing thank you to the people that donated to my campaign, which includes you. Thank you. And my finance director handed me a postcard. And I slapped it away. I said, no, Christina Warren gets a whole letter <laughs> written. And if when you get it, you're going to open up and I just have no written on the postcard. <laughs> nice. And then I wrote you a letter to say thank you. Aww, so Thank so, you. Yes. That's, that's great. my story. You got upgraded, you know? Like, you just I love a it. Thank you. It makes yeah. me feel so loved and, and also very happy to support your campaign and, of course. and rooting for you. Oh, we're going to win. It's going to be Hell good. Yeah. Yay. Second time is the charm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DoomQuasar and at YouTube.com slash Polygon and soon on Quibi, baby. Um, wow, this has been an episode of Rocket. If you liked it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I super duper appreciate it. Stay safe out there, everyone. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Oh, and happy Super Tuesday. Happy Super Tuesday. It's The results are interesting. <laughs> terminated. <laughs> Terminated. <laughs> <laughs>